Pastor Dave Roth encourages us to go down the path God has for us, whether it's difficult or not. Taking the path of least resistance when God has told you to do something difficult is cowardly and foolish. But taking the path of least resistance when God isn't telling you anything, that's just common sense. Don't always do what's difficult. I'm not hearing from God, so he must want me to do this horrible thing. No. If he isn't telling you specifically what you need to know, do whatever you want. Don't build it up like God always wants us to do the hard thing. If God wants you to do the hard thing, he'll tell you to do the hard thing. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand. And the instrument I play. Wake up my voice. Let the world hear me say. You are worshipped and it's all to hear today. Few of us like to tell someone they're in the wrong and even fewer respond well when they are corrected. There's nothing easy about church discipline, but when you realize the purpose is restoration and not to harm or embarrass, you come to realize it's one of the most loving things we can do for a person caught up in sin. Today on The Balanced Word, Pastor Dave Rolf approaches this sensitive subject and helps us do it the right way with the right motive. We're entering 2 Corinthians chapter 2 on this Thursday. Now, he starts talking about this case, which is Most likely, most scholars believe that he's referring to the case in 1 Corinthians, which was one of the toughest, one of the toughest things that he had to talk to them about. Turn for a moment back to 1 Corinthians 5. It's been a while since we were in 1 Corinthians, so I'll refresh your memory. 1 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. He goes, I can't even believe this. It's the kind of stuff they're not even doing in the world, but some guy is involved physically with his dad's wife. Now that could be his mother, but probably his stepmother because he didn't say with his mother, but with his father's wife, although either one is permissible by the language. And, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. He said, you guys are proud that you're accepting this behavior. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that is, kick him out and let him do what he's going to do, and even if it kills him, don't let him be there in front of you while he does it, in order that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." His soul is more important than even his body. So even if it just destroys him to be put out of the church, and in those days, the church was the place of survival for them in a lot of cases, but he goes, man, it's more important that he be saved. And then he says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, don't you realize that having permitted something like this, it affects everybody? It poisons everyone who's a part of the body. Therefore, purge out the old leaven 
Leaven is, by the way, a, generally a symbol for sin in the Bible. So purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. Um, an image from the Old Testament, the unleavened bread spoke of being pure. Um, and, and so he's saying, that's you. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then he goes on to say, of course, if there's immoral people who are outside the church, yeah, you need to go talk to, you need to be friends with them. If, if somebody's living this kind of a lifestyle and they don't know the Lord, then yeah, you should want to be hanging around them. But if somebody's going to be calling themselves a Christian, being a part of the church, and they're living this way, you need to deal with that. Because if they're led to believe that they can be a Christian and still live this way, then that could cost them their eternity. So very severe warnings for this. And, and so as it turns out, that they took it seriously, and they did. They booted the guy out. But now here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is saying, okay, that was good, but it's enough. Okay, the guy suffered enough. It's time to restore him. And biblically always, discipline is for the purpose of restoration. Kicking someone out of the church was always with the mind that it would help them to repent and then hopefully end up on track. And any kind of discipline, the goal is to bring about a change in a person. It's not just to punish people for what they're doing, whether you're disciplining children or whether you're in a position of leadership over adults. It's the same thing. The idea is, what can I do that's going to help this person get on track and, and lead a productive and fruitful life? And so that's all he wanted from them in this respect. So in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, it's time to shift gears, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Paul wasn't being cold-hearted. No doubt people were accusing him of that. Oh, he was just being mean to this guy. And boy, look at what's happened. No, he wanted to make sure that the example was set to everyone, and he wanted to make sure that this guy really got the message. And sometimes you find yourselves in a situation where somebody has really messed up and sinned, and you find yourself in a, in a spot of, you know, should I keep a friendship with this person, or is this something that God wants me to sort of cut off some fellowship with them? And you really have to seek the Lord. There isn't any hard and fast rule in Scripture about it. But if God leads you to cut somebody off from your fellowship, it's really important that your goal is then to pray for them and to watch for signs of repentance, to watch for evidence that they really get it, that they've really changed, so that then you can incorporate them back and reaffirm your love for them and, and include them again. Sometimes someone has failed in a way and and maybe they've totally repented, but everyone still treats them like they're a pariah, like 
like they've committed the unpardonable sin and I don't ever want to have anything to do with you. Sometimes you may disagree with someone getting a divorce, for instance, and it has that stigma attached and because your understanding of, of biblical divorce is that, oh, that, that was wrong for them to do it, is the purpose for treating them a certain way to bring about change in their life? What are you really looking to happen? And that's what you have to discern in, in every situation. Now, if it's over, it's over. And a lot of times it's just wise to, to figure, you know, hey, I, this person needs my support. Sometimes you know someone who marries the absolute wrong person. And you know it's going to be terrible. And they invite you to their wedding and you feel like, man, they're going to marry this loser, and I feel, you know, it's a horrible thing, and I don't, I have people all the time, at, you know, even one of their kids is getting married, and they're wondering whether they should go or not, because they're marrying a non-Christian, or they're marrying somebody that they think is abusive, or they're married, you know, first of all, I don't care who they're marrying, if you have shared your heart with them, told them your concerns, you've pretty much done what you can do. Now, the question is, if they're going to do it anyway, are they better off having you to support them? Or do you want them just completely cut off to where, you know, you've lost that kind of a relationship with them? And sometimes we just have to suck it up. And sometimes even to support someone, go to a wedding that you think, this thing doesn't have a chance, but I want to be supportive of, of this person. Now, if you said, you know what, I'm not going to go to your wedding because I don't like your fiance, and that would cause them not to get married, okay, maybe play that card. But, you know, if they're going to do it anyway, you have to think in terms of, is my ultimate goal to be there to support a person, to restore them when necessary? I had a, I had a situation once where I did a, I used to just, I would never marry people unless I really felt good about their marriage. And there are still times when I turn down people for, for a marriage because if, if I just feel so bad about it, I'll, usually what I'll tell them is, you know, your wedding should be the happiest day of your life and you really deserve to have someone be there as the pastor who's really excited for you. And I'm just so worried for you that I think you can do better than to have me do the wedding. And that's happened. But for the most part, I used to be really hard-nosed. <laughs> and some of the people that I was certain couldn't miss. I mean, these people, I know they're going to be married 50 years from now. A year later, they're divorced. And I'm like, I felt like, did I miss something here? But I'm not clairvoyant, you know. But the one that really taught me was many years ago, a friend of mine called me and asked me, she goes, I have a big favor to ask you. My niece is getting married like in two days. And they have hundreds of people coming. They have the El Adobe reserved. They, you know, and, but the pastor just backed out. And they're not Christians. They're living together. They have several kids. And I was like, you know, I was, you know, at that point, I was like, man, if I even found they're sleeping together at all, you know, I'm not marrying them. Today, that would save me a lot of weddings. But, um, <laughs> I could probably get rid of my suit. But, um, you know, but I, I really felt like this is a compromise to do this. But this is a real good friend of mine who was asking me, and 
oh, please, Dave, it would just mean so much. And, and I, I'm a people pleaser, and I knuckled under, and I said, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. And the whole time I was just, why am I doing this? And, I, and those poor, the poor audience, because I just finally thought, man, that whole El Adobe restaurant's full of heathens, and <laughs> I am going to let them have it. And I probably... I don't remember exactly what I said, but I probably preached hellfire and brimstone in the wedding just to like make them pay. And, but still, for, for 10 years after that, I felt like if there was one I could take back, it would be that one. Until on a Sunday morning, this couple came up to me and they said, introduced themselves and, remember me, I'm Mary's niece. And I go, you guys are still married? And they said, yeah, we came to your church because it's our 10th anniversary, and we just wanted to thank you for, you know, marrying us, and, uh, and I'm like, okay, cool, um, you know, and I'm thinking, so at least they went to church once in 10 years, that's a good thing, but they go, oh, by the way, you know, in the wedding, you shared all about the gospel and, and Jesus dying for our sins and everything, and they said, we went on our honeymoon, we went to our hotel room that first night, and we watched the video of the wedding. And we realized we had never given our hearts to Jesus Christ. So we knelt down by the bed, and we accepted Jesus, and that was 10 years ago. And now we're teaching Sunday school, we're involved. And I'm like, where have you been for 10 years? (laughs) I've felt miserable for nothing, you know? And But boy, did that teach me a lesson about judging and about just, you know, it's not up to me. I'm not the guy that decides everything. Sometimes God's hand is there and works, and but the heart always for every lost person should be, oh man, I just want you walking with the Lord. I want you loving him. I want to take every opportunity I can to demonstrate that love. And if you mess up, I... I want to help you to get back. I, I, I don't want you to go away so I don't have to think about it anymore. I really want to involve people and include people and restore people no matter what they've done. And that was definitely Paul's heart here. So he said, um, reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Kind of a weird verse. I mean, he already said, that he's not, you know, the Lord over them. You know, he doesn't have dominion over their faith. But he knew this would be difficult. And, and I guess what he was doing was saying, I wanted to see if you guys were even serious about the value of the church. Does it mean anything to you to do things right? And wow, what a, what a huge question that is for all of us, ultimately. And we find opportunities to take that test often when God speaks to us and now he's saying, I'm testing you in a way. Let me see what you do with this. Let me see if you're willing to be obedient because whether or not you're willing to be obedient shows whether or not you're really serious about following God, walking with him. This was a tough test for them. This was difficult because they hadn't wanted, maybe this family was prominent in the church, or maybe they knew this kid from when he grew up, and everybody was attached to him, but for some reason, 
they just didn't want to deal with it. But Paul said, I, I kind of called you out on it because I really wanted to see if you guys are serious about your walk with the Lord. If you're serious about serving God, if you're serious about church and the church being what it's supposed to be. And so it's not that his approval meant anything. I think his point is, I really wanted to see if what you guys are made of. Again, not that he would put judgment on them, but that he would know if the ministry that he had done in Corinth had really borne fruit or not. You know, did I teach you well? Are you walking in obedience? And so he said, you know, that's why I did it. And now he says, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. So now he's not going, you know, I better check this guy out. I need to interview him. I need to hear if he's really repentant. He goes, you know what? I trust you guys. If you, you did what was right, now if you want to forgive him, I forgive him. If you're okay with him, I'm okay with it. So different from sometimes when leaders in churches become so into their own power that they have to have the oversight and approval and veto power on every little thing that happens. Paul, Paul wasn't like that. When he knew that he needed to call them out and insist on a difficult decision being made, he did that. But now he's going, I trust you guys. And if you, if you think he's ready, if you, if you forgive him, then he's fine with me. He's, he's good in my book. I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He gave him over to Satan, just like we saw in, you know, that Paul talked to Timothy about Hymenaeus and Alexander. It's just an expression to say, just let him do what he's going to do. But you cut him off. You get, get yourself out of it. Take yourself out of the situation. And so he was allowing that, but he said, there's another way Satan can get the victory. And that is if you don't make it possible for restoration. If you won't forgive someone if they've been genuinely repentant. Now, how do you know if someone's been repentant? It's not easy. It's not easy to tell. I was listening to a study on K-Wave. It was a great message, the part I heard of it. And he was talking about repentance, and he said, you can tell that someone's really repentant when they've lost their self-esteem. He goes, so many times when people are in trouble, they're still worried about them. They're still worried about, okay, what's this going to do to me? How am I going to survive? How do I feel? I feel so bad. I feel so awful. This is really ruining my life. But when they stop worrying about that and they just start going, repenting before God, taking responsibility for what they've done, not defending themselves, and really just wanting God to be glorified and nothing more than that, then you know that someone's really repenting. And I thought that was an interesting point. And since then, I've thought about it quite a bit. And, and I've thought of a lot of cases where that was spot on. That if someone, if it's still about you, and you probably haven't even come close to learning the lessons that you need to learn. When you're caring about others and how they're affected and, and really remorseful about how you've offended God, now you're kind of getting in the ballpark. And so, you know, Paul says, Satan can take advantage of us 
and we aren't ignorant of his devices. Satan can win a victory in more ways than one. Sometimes his greatest victories are in how we respond to where someone gives in to Satan in the first place, either by us not forgiving or by us restoring too soon before someone's ready. And so he said, that's the thing. I just don't want Satan to get any more traction from this deal. Thanks for joining us today for The Balanced Word with Pastor Dave Roth. Hear this study from 2 Corinthians again at thebalancedword.com or give us a call and request a CD at 949-362-7475. That's 949-362-7475. Pastor Dave has taught through the entire Bible and we put the entire series on a USB for you. It's our featured resource right now, available for a donation of $30 or more. You can request this special offer at thebalancedword.com or call 949-362-7475. Here at The Balanced Word, everything revolves around the simple teaching of the Bible. Our mission is discovering balanced living through the Word of God. We're convinced that the Bible is God's Word to us, and living by the Word will give us the best life possible as we grow more healthy mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. Your donations help to make this possible, so thank you. You can make a contribution to the ministry at thebalancedword.com. And as you do, don't forget to ask for Dave's Through the Bible Study. Whether you live in the area or will be visiting soon, please know that you're always welcome to join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Sunday morning services begin at 8, 9.45, and 11.30. You can also live stream those services at ccpacifichills.org. We want to pray for you, so please send in those prayer requests right there at our website at thebalancedword.com. Or again, call 949-362-7475. Pastor Dave shares encouraging one-minute messages on Facebook and Instagram. It's a great way to start the day. Check it out at CC Pacific Hills. Or just log on to thebalancedword.com. Let's get back into 2 Corinthians chapter 2 now. Verse 12, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord... I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So uh, Paul further explains, he was at Troas, which is on, it's in Asia Minor, and again, if you get in your mind, you have three basic lumps sticking down in the Mediterranean Sea, and the one on the far east is Asia Minor. The next one is Greece, the sort of boot-looking thing, and then the next one is Italy, which is really looks like a boot with a heel and all that. Um, Asia Minor on the northern part of the coast of Asia Minor is where Troas is. So he could have gone directly across to northern Greece, which is where Macedonia is, or he could have sailed south to uh, down there where Athens is, and then go Athens to Corinth. And so he says, I was at Troas, and I was still trying to make the call. You know, what should I do? He said, I wanted to talk to Titus, because I knew Titus had been to Corinth, and so I was going to base what I did based on what what Titus had, had told me about. But he wasn't there, and I was kind of stressed about it, And so I went ahead and went to Macedonia instead. And it's an interesting insight into 
sometimes how God leads also when we have decisions to make. And we talk sometimes about having a peace and things like that, but a lot of times when something, you don't have all the answers and it's just kind of stressful, then do what seems like the easiest, most logical, most peaceful thing to do. If you're thinking about doing something, but it just seems like it's not right and there's something that stands in the way and it seems like you're striving to do it, if God doesn't tell you anything else, then you don't have to go do that anyway. And Paul just is explaining to them, it just didn't feel right and I hadn't seen Titus, so I just went the easy way, the path of least resistance. Taking the path of least resistance when God has told you to do something difficult is cowardly and foolish. But taking the path of least resistance when God isn't telling you anything, that's just common sense. Don't always do what's difficult. I'm not hearing from God, so he must want me to do this horrible thing. No. If he isn't telling you specifically what you need to know, do whatever you want. Don't build it up like God always wants us to do the hard thing. If God wants you to do the hard thing, he'll tell you to do the hard thing. We'll pick up where we left off in 2 Corinthians next time on The Balanced Word with Pastor Dave Roth. This program is brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel and online at thebalancedword.com. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hands. And the instrument I play. 